Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Quid Coffee and Trees. My name's Scott Ryan, and as always, I have with me my partner in crime, Jeff Sywick. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful. Thanks for asking, Scott. That, that's awesome to hear, Jeff. And joining us this morning, we are privileged to have two guests with us this morning from different programs within the Quidge community. We have with us Alex Tonegate from the Salukis Quidditch Club based off Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. And then we also have Jeremy Goodschneider, who came back to the Evanston area but was playing. Jeremy, you're going to have to help me. Brandeis Quidditch in the Northeast, Massachusetts? Yep, yep Brandeis. Brandeis Quidditch. Th- welcome, everyone. Jeremy and Alex. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Right now that we're on this podcast, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I'm doing pretty good myself. That's good to hear, guys. What are you drinking this morning? I got your standard (laughs) morning cup of water, I guess. That's about (laughs) it for me, usually. Yeah, I am a fan of hydration with water. water. (laughs) Keep it basic. Yeah, I figured I'd switch it up this morning and have a little orange juice, but uh... also okay. nutritious and delicious. <laughs> so I got body armor, but I'm trying the orange mango flavored. I'm not too crazy about it, but it it's not terrible. It's still it's it's still got the coconut water in it and electrolytes and all that other good stuff for you. So I'm pretty content. Jeff, I'm assuming you have coffee. Of course, I got coffee. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. This is the first cup of the morning, but I'm just excited to be here, talk about Quidditch and the keeper position, and have a good time and drinking a good old cup of Joe. Heck yeah. I yeah. can't get enough of that enthusiasm on a Sunday. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, Alex and Jeremy, we would you like to ask our guests how did you get into the sport of Quidditch, this wonderful community? So my freshman year of college, uh, I had never heard, I mean, like I obviously read and seen all the Harry Potter books and movies, but um, I was just walking around our activities fair uh, as a freshman and saw a booth for Quidditch. And I was like, oh, that seems fun. And everyone on the, at the booth seemed pretty chill. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something that would keep me active and I wanted something that would seem fun. So I uh, joined and that, that was more than four years ago. So I'm from a pretty small town. And my senior year, one of my friend's brothers was playing Quidditch down at SIU. And I went to, like, a game they had here near my hometown and, like, saw it all uh, and thought it was interesting. And then once I decided that SIU is where I was going for school, he reached out and he was like, hey, man, uh, you got to try Quidditch if you're coming down. Pretty much said, sure, why not? And that's what started it for me. You got scouted. That's awesome. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Recruited out of high school. <laughs> and we got to start doing that a little bit more, getting them at the high school level, and then they start making the decisions for college. Well, they got a Quidditch team, so mm-hmm. I'm going to go there. Big influence. <laughs> so speaking of Quidditch, we've been, I mean, you've both been playing for a while now. Did you do any sports outside of Quidditch previously that helped you prepare you for the sport, or are you doing anything also being like a dual athlete, any sports that you currently play also help with quid? In high school, I pretty much uh, tried it all. Uh, football, basketball, track throughout high school. Um, 
on a pretty successful basketball team, which like was cool and kind of gave me, I guess, my competitive edge. So then when we went to college, I was like, I need something to still compete in. And I pretty much, I do all kinds of things now. Um, it's Quidditch and I picked up like boxing about a year ago. So that are kind of my two sports, I guess you can say that I'm doing right now. Boxing is difficult. That is so impressive. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Yeah, it is way harder than I would have expected when I first <laughs> got into it. Um, uh, so I, I used to play soccer when I was a kid for like years. Um, and then in high school, I stopped playing soccer and I picked up uh, football and lacrosse. So I did football for a couple of years before high school too, but football and lacrosse through high school. Um, so I, I guess that's where I got my... Uh, my physicality uh, from football and lacrosse, so it kind of carried over pretty well to Quidditch. So, yeah, that's great. I mean, anytime I think the common theme in the most recent years is people having sports backgrounds is becoming way more common. Yeah, back in like 2013 when I joined, it was all just like people were just like, I like Harry Potter and had very <laughs> little athletic background. Yeah, I can see that change just like from the two years I played, just like you can tell playing someone that they were like recruiting it's becoming more of like an athlete focused sport like people are seeing it as ex athletes want to play it and it's it's weird almost kind of that it's in that development stage almost yeah my uh, my freshman year when i joined um through through the end of my senior year we kind of had like a like a whole team mind change at brandeis of kind of like the the seniors when i was a freshman it was more like a, hey, this is a fun thing where we get to be with friends and we're the fun team. So teams in the Northeast region really enjoyed playing us because we were nice and fun, but also because we were an easy W for them. Um, and then it kind of shifted to, hey, we're on a team and we want to be competitive and win games. So it was a, a gradual transition from my freshman year to my senior year. Yeah, that is like exactly what happened this year for SIU. We like got new uniforms, uh, changed our logo, all the focus more on recruiting all those ex-athletes opposed to just Harry Potter people who see it as that. I love that. I think it's so important for the growth of the sport and making it more competitive because as we get people that are more athletic, the sport's going to be more competitive and it's going to be more enjoyable to watch, which, of course, creates a better sport as a whole. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love that you guys are both part, both been part of that transition for your respective club teams. It's it's not a, it's not an easy transition to make. Jeremy, you just graduated. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks. And well, we we just kind of want to hear because we don't get a lot of like in person feedback from the Northeast outside of just what we see online. What was it like playing for for Brandeis Quidge, being part of the the Massachusetts Quidditch Conference, and then what are you looking forward to with your your Quidditch career now that you're no longer in the college system? For the future stuff, um, I was obviously really looking forward to playing for Indy this year, um, and all of the COVID stuff happened, and so that's not really happening. Um, but um, so I'm not exactly sure uh, whether or not I am going to take uh, some time off from the Quidditch community, uh, like playing wise. Um, I actually just got a uh, paid internship starting in early September 
uh, in the Florida Keys doing coral restoration. Um, so I'm moving down there. Um, but uh, I haven't done a whole lot of Quidditch out here. Obviously, I've been to a couple of Chicago United Quidditch club practices and uh, just like in the like me- meeting everybody on Indy online and stuff like that. Um, but I guess just like the in MQC, it was just such a such a community, such a uh, everyone was so connected. Everyone knew each other because you play each other so much and you travel. I mean, it's not even that much travel because everyone's in Boston, but just like the camaraderie of it and seeing everyone, you know, and like you could you could hug people from other teams before games and then it was all seriousness in game and stuff like that. It was just it was a really nice community. I, I loved it and I miss it. So. That sounds like an awesome community, Jeremy. And so could could you talk a little bit about what your expectations would be for yourself and in the Salukis Quidditch team this coming season? Oh, absolutely. Um, we have a lot of challenges to face. Uh, last year, we ended with a total of four females like on our team, and we lost one and losing the others soon. So recruiting is very big for us right now. But as far and of course, the COVID situation is a developing problem that we'll have to face. But I think the biggest thing about us right now is we're a really young team. And we just lack experience, like, all around. Uh, from the coach, I coach, and I lack all the experience as a coach, pretty much. <laughs> and I was never really, like, taught anything besides, here's the ball, score it, try and score it. So, and that's something, also being a part of Indy has uh, kind of changed for me, is I'll have stuff to kind of take back to them. To where it's not just run around until someone can try and score and will hopefully be able to implement more of an offense. But we're full of a bunch of just raw athletes out there, but just no direction. And especially in the beater game, early on this season, we had a lot of first-year guys, first-year ladies, who were all had overall skills but just – lacked experience which especially I feel like in the beater game is such an important aspect that's overlooked is the experience of when to make the beat who to make the beat on it's not just hit this person as hard as you can with the budget (laughs) and just within the season a lot of people just grew just playing a few games and which makes me look forward to after a whole year of knowledge then be able to do more and just experiencing it and then if USQ, I feel, ever makes the change to two-hand tackling, I think that will open the door very much for at least the style we play because we have a lot of those ex-football players, F, ex-physical sport players who teaching the tackle with only one hand and one arm gets kind of awkward, and we find ourselves a big hitters in card trouble pretty often. Whereas if it, we ever make the change to two-hand tackling being legal, I think that'll make a pretty big difference, especially on the defensive end for us. But no, overall, just that, just gaining experience, I think, will make the world of a difference for us. Retweet two-hand tackling, <laughs> please. Hoping so hard for those two-handed tackles to come through this season. Yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After, after playing last season MLQ with two-handed tackles, like, I never want to go back. <laughs> like, please, can we have it in, ML- in yeah. USQ? 
it would make such a big difference. And I think it would just give the sport more respect from those ex-athletes. Cause oh, yeah. Call it like it almost feels like calling USQ a full contact sport is like it's almost not at this point. Like you can hug someone with one arm and like yeah. kind of slow them down, but like you can't really hit them the same you could as you if if you could use two hands. Yeah, and it definitely helps warp the strategy more because all of a sudden defenses, especially chaser defenses, are much more of a threat. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot harder to run through a defense uh, in USQ with two-hand tackles than one-arm tackles. Absolutely. So you guys both mentioned, too, that you did make the Indiana Ray roster. So congratulations, by the way, for that. Thanks. To talk so, about that, what prompted you guys to make those decisions to go ahead and try Kremlin Q and, you know, see what it's about? And would you do it again? And a follow-up to that, too. Do you have any suggestions for other folks in the sport who are thinking about trying out Kremlin Q? One of my best friends from school, uh, Tess Kowalski, she was co-captain with me this year. She plays for Boston, um, and she had been hyping up MLQ and stuff for years. And um, I don't know why I never really got got into it. Maybe, I don't know, just like working over the summer, and I was like, oh, maybe, like, I, I don't know that I would have the talent for it. So I never really thought about it. Um, my freshman, like after the summer, the summer after my freshman year of college and sophomore year of college. And then I was abroad, um, the spring semester of my junior year and got back late in the summer. And I didn't even think about it while I was abroad. So this is kind of the, the first summer where I thought about it and was like, Oh, like I'm home and I could totally do this and it would be awesome just to get to play and experience it. So I guess, uh, just my recommendation for, for all the younger people out there, even the older people, uh, try try out, <laughs> have fun, play. Like you could you can make it. Uh, yeah, that's great. I think I, I agree. I'm kind of fall in the same boat where if someone's like, should I do it? Should I not? I'm like, you should try out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it can't hurt to try out. Like you're, you're gonna spend, you know, submit video. I guess it'll take you at most like an hour to find your play, or like go to an in person tryout. You know spend half a day of a Saturday or something going out. Like it's not that much effort to try out like it is, but it's not too much <laughs> of a time commitment. It's just to try out. Yeah. For me, uh, everyone's favorite Gramps, Matt Melton, um, who has <laughs> a lot of our games uh, this year and my freshman year uh, reached out to me and I was like, Hey, have you ever thought about this? Or did you even know this existed? Which I, I didn't really even know it was a thing, but, it was like, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and he sent me the link to the online tryouts. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, might as well. Yeah, nothing <laughs> to lose. And then, yeah, like, uh, it's been a game changer for me. Just kind of learning the strategies of Quidditch is like opened my mind to so much things that I do. I'm like, I could change this little thing and it'd make a world of difference. And then, yeah, I would 100% recommend it if if you like USQ, if you like playing and you have the time, give MLQ a shot. And I would definitely foresee myself uh, doing it in the future, especially since I like we never got to officially play. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> RIP. Didn't really get to experience yeah. it. So absolutely, I'd try it in the future. I, 
Alex, you, you mentioned something earlier about like taking some of this stuff away back to, to the Salukis in your college team. And I definitely want to emphasize that to folks that are wanting to get more involved in Quidge, better understand it, or just even just pick other people's brain. I, I, I think collaborating with the other folks around us is a huge deal. And, and I can speak to that being last year, Indy was my first season with MLQ and Chicago United didn't have much structure or an offense or a defense. We were all just kind of like running around and just hearing from other people and trying different things and spending the time. It, it, it does a world of difference. Like you said, Alex, so I appreciate you, you sharing that. And anyone else that wants to give MLQ a try. Oh yeah. It, like I said, just the knowledge alone has been worth it to me. Like not even getting the play yet, but just learning from people who have been in way longer and who have gone through the process of finding out, hey, this works, hey, this doesn't work. Uh, so I can just skip that process altogether and learn straight from the people who have found out what works is amazing. Hey, I totally agree. Just having the diversity of different ideas is just so valuable in terms of learning better strategies and everything. And every different region has different strategies in the Midwest we play differently than Boston does, for example. And they're both, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but I think Indy is pretty good last year, and so is Boom Train. And obviously Boston's a very well-known area. They, they won MLQ last year. And so just being exposed to all of that is just so important in terms of becoming just a better Quidditch player and really understanding Quidditch strategy. We are going to transition now to the, the focus of today's podcast. So in the sport of Quidge, there are different positions. And today we're going to talk about the keeper position. Keeper traditionally guards the hoops. There's three hoops that they guard. They always wear a green headband. They're also allowed to put their hands through the hoops to block shots. They're, they're also immune from bludgers as long as they stay in their keeper zone. And every everyone here, including our guests, played keeper in some capacity. <coughs> so Jeff and I are just going to ask some open-ended questions about the position for you guys and just kind of see where the conversation goes from there. So, What are some things that you guys have learned about strategies, skills, kind of important things to always have on your mind while you're playing? Any kind of drills that you think are really beneficial or qualities and attributes that keepers should have? So just like a full discussion surrounding that. Um, I guess I could go. <laughs> go <for laughs> um, so I guess uh, when, I, when I started my freshman year, it was kind of like a, like a, everyone would like Scott was saying about Chicago United where everyone was just kind of running around doing their own thing uh, and just trying our best to, to score and do all that stuff. Um, so I got thrown in um, our first practice. We kind of just tried out all the different positions that we wanted to try. Um, and keeper kind of stuck with me. And uh, we just kind of had like two or three practices before our first game of like real practice. And I got thrown in as keeper my first game against BU, who lit me up, um, <laughs> which was always great. Um, and so that was my first like experience as keeper. But it kind of opened my eyes to the the style of play needed. Um, and one of my one of my best friends and teammates uh, from Brandeis, 
his name is uh, Dawson McNamara Bloom. Um, he and I, uh, I, I used to have a, uh, a card problem where I would get a lot of cards, um, but I've improved. <laughs> um, I used to, I used to get a lot of cards. And so he, whenever I would keep, he would be the backup keeper um, for whenever I got a card. Um, and so my junior year, um, when I was going abroad, um, he, we had him play starting keeper um, so he could get used to the position for when I was gone, both graduating the following year and while I was abroad the, the semester following. So I, I got the, the, the chance to play keeper for most of my time at Brandeis, but also uh, chaser and point chaser, really. Um, so it was kind of kind of different animals, but um, I guess just just the, having the ability to have like you're, you're as a keeper, you kind of like run the offense and the defense. At least that, that's how it was at Brandeis. Um, so being able to have the heart to lead the team is kind of uh, an important trait. I think it doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously being tall is helpful. Like, but we definitely had some some smaller players try the position out and do well. And it's honestly just 110 percent heart and effort. And if you if you have the strategy and the the talent and the desire to win and will your team to victory, I think anybody can play the keeper position. Yeah. So Jamie talked about like how you kind of lead your team, and along with that, some of like the less physical skills you need is you like in order to do that, you need good mental toughness. Like you all kind of, I feel like in most college situations, you all kind of the main guy people see on the team. Mm-hmm. So if you miss a shot and you throw a fit or you can't keep it together mentally, that's what everyone on your team is going to see. And it kind of just kills the moral. Yeah. And along with that is you have, you have to, I feel like, play smart because most of the time you control the pace your team's going at and all that stuff. So those are two, like, skills that anyone can develop over time is just mental toughness and the ability to be smoked while you're playing. Yeah, those are all, I think, really important qualities, too. I'd also add field awareness. I think yeah. as, like, a, you know, oh, as yeah. a goal scored, you need to, like, you know, obviously get the ball at a restart play, and you need to recognize, if, is, like, is there a fast-break opportunity? Should I slow it down, right? And then on defense, understanding, you know, what's going on, depending on the defense you're playing, if people are rotating in a certain position or somewhere, mm-hmm. or somebody's out of position, communicating that. So I think having a very acute field awareness is – a priority on my list of skills. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I'm going to give a quick shout-out to Nicholas Kaufman from Ball State and Indy. He does a really good job communicating when he's at the keeper position. Like when your chaser gets tapped out on defense, we usually have some sort of rotation on who's going where afterwards. So good job, Nick. Keep doing what you're doing, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Scott, what do you have to add? Because – uh, little side story to last year and Scott's first MLQ year, we played Toronto um, for the division title game three. And we were down, we were down, like it was sudden death. I think for Toronto to score, we had to like put up three mm-hmm. or four goals. Toronto had to put one up. And so what we had going was Scott would play keeper in defense and then sub out for Nathan Digman on offense. And Scott played like the most incredible defense I've ever seen in my entire life. It was just ridiculous. Like Scott, Scott, he's you, Scott. You stopped so many shots; it was just absurd. 
Thank you, Jeff. That <laughs> what? Yeah. What, like, what did you? What do you? What do you think helps connect contribute to that ability? So much like what Alex and Jeremy shared, I also have other sports backgrounds. I played football since I was five. I played a lot of safety. I played a lot of like lockup corner, like lockup or lockdown. Like if you needed someone to man up on someone, that that's usually what I did at corner. Um, I I also ran track, so that's that's where some of my speed comes from. I. I, I can't play basketball, guys. Shooting has got to shoot has nothing to do with me and basketball. <laughs> but, like, honestly, I'm going to steal Jeff's word. It's it's field awareness and perception. I I think, and, like, I know this is going to be question that's asked later, but I think keepers can be a little bit more aggressive outside of just standing in front of the middle. Yeah. Group. I like being able to anticipate a pass, anticipate a read, mm. anticipate a drive coming in. And, like, as soon as that quaffle gets too close, wrap that person up and bring them down and get that quaffle by any means necessary. I, I don't like sitting in front of the front of the tall hoop too, too much. I like to – it's also kind of like volleyball. You kind of shift to where the ball's going to, like, be attacked from. You don't just – stay where you're at you're always on your feet so i don't know i'm i'm i love defense like honestly if we were going to do that again this summer i'd be totally okay with it it's fun to get buckets and get dunks and stuff like that but i would love to just defeat an offense by not giving him the opportunity to score it also just demoralizes them when you can't score on like three or four possessions yeah. it's like can i score please you know um, especially <laughs> if they're so close to like the last goal they needed and not yeah. be able to get that one goal, three, four possessions in a row would be maddening. I mean, Scotty's just too big. Just too it's it's not even bad. We're, we're, we're built differently in the Midwest. I am 5'11", 170. Scott, you I, drink your I'm milk? Like, <laughs> I don't even drink milk. I haven't had milk in years. <laughs> But like that that that's another thing I would like to, to emphasize too. It doesn't matter how big you are either. Like the two hand tackling thing makes a huge difference and just use your momentum to wrap them up and bring them bring them down. It's hard to do anything when you're wrapped up. Just get in their face. Yeah. And that's another component of like the two hand tackling is everybody on the field is a threat to you if they can tackle you with two hands now. True. Like with one hand there's not a lot of people that are an absolute huge threat. Like, if everyone can use two hands, every single person becomes, this person could wrap me up and stop my drive right here. Yeah, 100%. They become way more threatening. Um, Kind of keeping this discussion going, too, are there any drills that you guys do that you think are really beneficial to becoming a better keeper? Um, So we had one of my favorite drills. Um, (laughs) It was called outlet, like like an outlet pass, but... Um, the first time we ever did it, uh, my co-captain Tess called it Outlook. And so then the rest of the season, we just kept calling it Outlook and we'd always get super hyped for Outlook. So it's basically, um, a couple people would be on defense and, um, if the, the offense scored or stopped a shot, there would be a line of a couple people out of bounds and they would say, I'm your Outlook pass, outlet pass. And, um 
you would get the pass and then it would be a fast break going the other way. And then whoever scored would be out for the next game. And then the people that were on defense take the ball on offense and throw the ball in as another outlet pass. So it really, it, it was more of like a, like a fast break drill for being a keeper. Um, Cause you had to be able to handle uh, a new, a new lineup coming in every time. And um, they would come in and try to score fast. Obviously you wouldn't have time to set up anything. Um, it's just communication with the, the couple of people, the couple of chasers that you had on defense to say, Hey, cover this, cover this shot, cover this pass. Um, cover this person, make sure that this is this is where we're defending so they don't score on this fast break. Um, and it was just quick, and it was uh, it let us build up our cardio and uh, in-game situations and stuff like that, so it really opened our eyes to uh, how to play well as a team. That does sound really cool. I want to make sure I am understanding it right. So you're, as keeper, you stay playing keeper the whole time, and then it's different lines kind of cycle through that you're facing? Um, well, I would generally stay as keeper, but you could switch it up too. Okay. 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 That's cool. That's really cool. We have, I think a similar drill that, um, Indian boom train does called three on two on one. Yep. Yeah. Okay. You just, yeah, just like kind of fast breaks, (laughs) transition play. Oh, I think scrimmaging is probably like one of the best drills, especially a keeper you can do. It just teaches you like how to read uh, an, attack, an attacking offense, uh, where they're trying to go, where they're not a threat to you, where they are a threat to you, and just building up that kind of <laughs> sense of yours where you get that danger sense, like this guy is close enough to make the shot on me, I got to tackle him type deal. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's quite a substitute as good as scrimmaging is for developing that just raw in-game reactions. Uh, I... To yeah. add on to what Alex said, just uh, the scrimmage, just being able to to add in the the field awareness, which we were talking about, and uh, I know it was like a little bit of an issue for me. That was like one of the when we were trying out for indie, one of the, the the questions was on field weaknesses and stuff like that, and I put patience for me. So the scrimmage, being able to to build up your patience and field awareness, and knowing, hey, I have the time to make this play and fit this ball in this window. And knowing when you don't have to do that and when you do that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Do a T. I'm, I'm laughing because I have zero patience. <laughs> yes. Shooter's got to yeah. shoot. Shooter's got to shoot. Yes. <laughs> Always. Questions asked. Scott, patience. Patience on offense. You got to, like, work the ball around. You know, no, just find the opening. The shot. <laughs> well, Half it's close enough. Get enough. It's shot. <laughs> so we're obviously talking about keeper. Um, do you guys both primarily play keeper for your team only, or do you ever play chaser or touch the bludger by any chance ever? Unless it's in practice, um, every now and then I've switched to uh, chaser to kind of put a taller threat in back of the hoops. But pretty much from the time I started, I was kind of recruited as the keeper. Keeper. I play a lot of keeper. And then every now and then just beat in practice at a boredom to give the beaters a new look. (laughs) Good keeper for most of my time in college. Um, And then whenever I'd get a card and come back in, I would, I would be chaser for a bit. And I played, played like a semester ish um, as like the, the point chaser, the point defender, um, which was nice. Um, I mean, like, 
like I, I, obviously I love being a keeper, but it, sometimes it's just nice to get, get a break from uh, running everything uh, here and there. Um, and then we used to do we would have practice uh, twice during the week and then once on Sundays and have games on Saturdays in college. Um, so Sunday practice was kind of more like a like a chill kind of thing, but it was like it's definitely still intense, but more like a hey, let's get our our legs back under us and uh, stay active and work on strategy and stuff like that. So whenever we would have Sunday practices um, or like a late practice during the week, we would do a drill called Beater Batter Royale. And we had we would have practice on this big grass field um, on Brandeis campus. And everyone would get a bludger and we would all spread out on this giant field and someone would yell go. And it was kind of every man for himself kind of beat, beat everybody uh, – or be beaten and whoever was the last one to be beat was the winner. Um, so I definitely had my fair share of wins in that. Um, and we played the last game of our season. I mean, we didn't know it was last game because of COVID, but uh, we had games against uh, Middlebury and I believe uh, Clark's uh, uh, club team. And so we had a game against each of them. And then instead of playing, them again we had uh mixed squads so we kind of had a draft and everyone kind of split up teams and i got to keep for a little bit of that game and then i beat for the rest of that game and one of our one of our uh beaters who was on our team who was on my team for this specific game uh his name is evan solomon um he was always a beater for us and then he was chasing this game and he scored more goals than i did that game because i was beating <laughs> and it was a nice switch <laughs> it's as if chases and keepers can be awesome beaters too who would have thought you, you yeah. hear that Ethan Digman <laughs> let us be let us be please <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> shameless plug I do think though it's really important to like if you have a full understanding to be a utility player you just have a, a more thorough understanding of the game and it's really beneficial as a whole You don't need to understand nothing. Just fucking rip it. <laughs> I tease. I do love playing Quaffle, though, honestly. As much as I want to learn beater, I don't think I could ever go full beater because, like, I played it in practice and stuff and, like, the divisional games last year at MLQ. And it's fun. And I do think it's important for the strategy. But it's not, it's not as fun as getting buckets. Getting buckets is so fun. True. Okay. I, I will say this if you miss your beat and that ball keeps rolling that shit sucks that's rough <laughs> that's rough buddy <laughs> so J- Jeremy and Alex you think playing keeper for yourselves you think <laughs> play the position what are some mistakes that maybe you've seen other keepers make and maybe some suggestions you would give to the current position um, so I guess just going off what I said earlier, the, the patience for myself and for others, um, obviously I, I played, uh, uh, keeper in a division or in a, in a, a league, a conference where we had a lot of good keepers. I mean, we had Ian Skura, I mean, CJ Carter for UVM, Finn on Tufts. I mean, like, like <laughs> playing against those, those guys was obviously, uh, a learning experience and it made me a better player. Um, so, I mean, just, like, getting out there and I guess, like, the biggest thing, like, we had – we'd have practices. Um, shout out to Sheldon Bostic, too, who was our, our Brandeis' coach for years. Um, 
great human being, one of my favorite people, um, insanely smart when it comes to Quidditch and life. Um, but we would have practices where we would do hitting for like 20 minutes and he and I would just like try and get the physicality of our team up because it was not there at all. So I guess just don't be afraid to be physical uh, out there on the pitch um, <laughs> because if you don't be physical, someone's going to run you over and you're going to deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and strictly like criticizing myself, uh, I fall into this trap a lot, especially uh, on offense. Not everything you have to do has to be 100% to score. Not every pass you have is going to be a perfect dime pass to a cutter who's on his way to score. Uh, not every opportunity you see from half court is a shot you should take. Uh, there's every now and then let the game run through someone else on your team. Don't You don't have to always be involved in everything. Pass it off and let someone else do the work for you. And that's a trap I fall into all the time is I feel like when the ball's in my hand, I need to score it. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a, a balance in terms of starting to utilize more of your team. Cause I was kind of that way too in college um, yeah. and playing in the club division. Now, like my mentality has shifted dramatically where you really use your team. You use your system to score versus being like, got to do it all myself. Yep. Uh, yeah. Can't agree more with that's the trap I've fallen into and continue to fall into to this day is, I've got to do this once I have the ball. I, I think I've fallen into very similar traps, Alex. I'm, I'm glad you shared that because it's a good reminder for myself when playing the position. You have a team. You use your team together. Yep. La- last question, wrapping up the, the keeper section. Is there a reason to keep someone specifically at the keeper position versus chaser? And the follow-up with that, a reason someone would not make a good chaser versus a good keeper. That there isn't really a reason to keep someone specifically at the keeper position versus as a chaser. I feel like their positions are pretty similar in skill set for the most part. So I feel like if you're a good player, you should be able to do well at both spots. And I think it's just preference, honestly. Um, I think you can do well either way. Um, and it's uh, I, I don't think that there's a reason to not have a good chaser be like a, a keeper other than mm-hmm. like if it doesn't fit well with the game plan or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I guess just, if you're, if you're, if you're too quiet, if you're too quiet and you can't like keep control of everyone on the team, then I guess that's like the only thing that I could think of that would not be a, a good reason to have you be a keeper. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. If someone's an athlete and they're coachable, I think keeper and chaser are pretty interchangeable. Yeah. Would you guys agree with this statement that all keepers can be good chasers? Not all chasers can be good keepers. Ooh. Um, I would say, yeah, there are definitely um, some chasers that, I mean, like we definitely had people on our team that were small. Uh, I'm going to throw my co-captain Tess Kowalski under the bus here. Um, we used to make fun of her for being short because she's like five three. Um, she's probably definitely taller than that, but I'm gonna say she's five one now. Just to, <laughs> two inches. We can make jokes about like uh, her needing to take like growth hormones or whatever, <laughs> her drink or milk or whatever. Um, 
but like her her main spot, like we would she'd be behind hoops and we'd we'd set up an offense and she I mean she's like a very talented one one uh MLQ championships with Boston last last summer. Amazing player. Um I'm way more on top of her shit than I am when it comes to strategy and stuff like that. Um but she's small and so she would like if I'm gonna I'm hundred percent cool with running through an, uh, a defense and getting drawing a beat or getting hit and dishing a pass to her to dunk on hoops. Like I'm hundred percent cool with that. So, I mean, I would say maybe that's more a smaller build person's skill set versus keeping, but yeah. I mean, that's like, yeah, I can think of. You don't have to be six foot plus to keep, but you do have to be able to at least <laughs> convince the other team that you can go that tall hoop. Yeah. I, I agree, and I, I would add to the to the keeper position that you gotta have quick feet. You gotta be able to move like you're a goalie in hockey, yeah, laterally especially. Yes, yeah, so you gotta have a lot of lateral movement. It, it doesn't matter what position you play if you can't move laterally. Don't be a keeper. This is good stuff, guys. I I love how insightful you are. You guys add a lot of good context to this position. Glad we could share. Yeah, so that moves into our mailbag section. Kind of, if you guys take a look at those questions, that, if you saw them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> starting with the first one from Danny. <laughs> which, of, which of the four of us would be the best beater? <laughs> Why is it Jeremy? Jeremy and Tongate coach their college teams. Who would win? So, <laughs> let's, start, let's take this one piece at a time. Out of the four of us, who's the best beater and why is it Jeremy? So, first of all, it's not Jeremy, it's, it's me. <laughs> I am the best at the position. Danny is trash. I will take anyone in the Midwest and the Great Lakes region 1v1 beater battle all day. You heard it here first. I don't think I can argue with that. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I could take Scott out if I really wanted to. Ooh. <laughs> We, 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 when COVID and all that, like, ends, we should probably set this up, like, do our beater box thing for all, all right. four of us. But no, I, I, I have the shooter mentality. It applies to bludger play just as much. All you got to do is rip that bludger and you win. But catching so important, too. Pull a, uh, Vince Vaughn in dodgeball and yeah. uh, put a blindfold on. <laughs> 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 if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. That, that'd be something. Get <laughs> in the face, you can't even see it coming. <laughs> it suck. I like that idea. But, um, yeah, I'm taking this one. Sorry, guys. It's not close. Dang, that confidence is just going so hard. Um, let's move on to the, the second part of Danny's question. Uh Jeremy and Alex, if you guys coached your teams and you played each other, who's going to win? I'll say best out of three. So, well, a lot of people might not know this, but last year I was actually the, the coach of our team, and we didn't do the best up until regionals. We won our first game at regionals, and we ended up winning three that weekend. And I've, I've never seen Jeremy's team or him play, <laughs> but... I'm going to have to swallow a humble pill here, and I will probably say we might take a game from him, but I would give Jeremy's team probably the two-to-one win over us in the series. 
I will gladly take that two to one win. I think we got the heart. Um, and I think give yourself a few years, but I think I got the the age and experience on you guys, and I think we would take it to Yeah, I would. That's pretty much how I'd sum it up. <laughs> <laughs> this was such a wholesome take. <laughs> so <laughs> simple. <laughs> no debate whatsoever. Like, yeah, this is how it's gonna work out. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I, uh, this the next one comes from. I hope I pronounced their name correctly. Kieran Collier. Yeah. It's specifically for Jeremy. Do you, do you have a different mentality playing point defense depending on the the white or green headband? Also, favorite MQC game you've played in and why? Um. So I've been. I was given some thoughts to this one. Um. And there are a lot of different options. Um, for the first part of that question, uh, I would say there's not a huge difference in mentality, uh, when I'm out there, uh, with the white or green headband. Um, I guess just the only thing that came to mind when I was thinking about it was when you're a keeper and you've got the green headband on, you're the last line of defense in most situations to stop a goal or stop a, stop a score. Um, and, uh, just from my experience as, as uh, a chaser, just knowing that, hey, I'm going to put my heart out on the – leave my heart out on the field, put 110% out there. Um, but knowing that there's somebody who you trust behind you to help you out and have your back if you can't finish a play is just really nice. So I guess that's like that's the only – the difference in mentality that I could think of. Um, and I think my favorite MQC game – there been a lot. Um, it was the last game of my junior year before I went abroad. So it was the it was like late November um, game, and we were playing we were playing at Tufts against BU, and we had gotten we had played a close game against Tufts, ended up losing, and then um, we had a lot of injuries um, heading into it. So we had like a like a full roster. Playing, heading into our, our last game of the day against BU of like, I want to say like nine or 10 people max. Um, so it was, it was freezing and we were all tired and sore and exhausted. And our captain at the time, Aaron Stone, he was like, hey, we kind of all circled up and he's like, hey, do you guys want to play this game or do you want to forfeit uh, Harry Greenhouse? I'm sure you guys know Harry Greenhouse. He was is the coach for BU. Um, so he's like, I can go talk to Harry about it. Um, and it was kind of silent for like three or four seconds. And I was like, no, fuck this. We're playing. Obviously we're playing like, and we're leaving it all out on the field. And we ended up playing them and we were losing like, I want to say like three to one. Um, and um, I kind of was just like <laughs> sick of the losing to them. <laughs> and so we kind of, we kind of, I kind of put the team on my back. Um, we ended up scoring. Uh, I ended up driving down and like dunking over their keeper. And um, I, there were a lot of games where I, I bled and I had, so they, they make you go off if you get cut up and you have to bleed. So I ended up going off to get bandaged up and we were losing 60 to 30. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went back in 
and um, immediately dunked over their keeper. And then we had a play where uh, this girl on our team, Eleanor Kelman, she, I threw her the ball and she scored. And I found out after the game that she had closed her eyes and thought she was going to get hit and just chucked it and scored. But with her eyes. Amazing. (laughs) And so we did that. And then um, we had this play that literally only worked this time. And once my freshman year called ghost ship from SpongeBob, where one person's the ghost ship and one person's the flying Dutchman. It's basically just an alley-oop with a tall person where you throw it over the tall hoop and they catch it and dunk it. Um, so we were losing, and we tried this play, and Sheldon Bostic is a very animated person, and he was super hyped up, and we were coming back, and he was jumping up and down and screaming, go ship, run, go ship, and he was like <laughs> laughing and having a great time, and we ran it, and um, I threw the ball, and it was like a mediocre pass, and their keeper tipped it, but it went into the medium hoop uh, and scored and then um, we caught Snitch in one. And no, so it was just like the perfect end to the semester and everyone was like freaking out. And then just to find out on the way home that um, that Eleanor had her eyes closed on that pivotal shot was ridiculous. It's like the stars all aligned. That's so cool. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> That's, yeah, you love stories like that too. And also speaking of Keeper... Like, I know you scored, but that's, like, the worst feeling playing keeper when you tip the ball and it goes in. You're just like, I was so close to blocking that shot. Oh, my gosh. All right, so K-Pack asks, what is the favorite thing to do outside of Quidditch? Man, many hobbies. Uh, It changes almost weekly what I like to do. I'm always trying something different. Uh, It's a joke among my friends that, like, if you give me a gift, like, it doesn't have to be good. It will become my new hobby no matter what it is. So, like, I've tried from making long boards and stuff to uh, forging, um, <laughs> riding stuff, all kinds of different sports I've tried. Like, uh, you, disc golf, I know that's a big thing yeah. right now. Yeah. Yes. That was a hobby for a few years of mine. So, pretty much, you name it, and I've done it or would be willing to do it. I like that. Um... I'm a I'm a big adventure guy, um, so I'll I'll try anything once really, um, like skydiving or whatever. Bungee jumping's on the list. Um, love to do that, but I would say probably for me scuba diving. Um, I actually just went uh, last weekend with my dad. Um, we went. I've been fortunate enough to go some cool places. Um, so I mean, I, I I got to go like all over the Caribbean, and uh, I've been in Fiji and Israel and. Uh, I got to do my abroad in Australia, so I got to dive on the Great Barrier Reef there. But uh, we went diving in uh, this quarry in Kankakee uh, last weekend, and it was just like so. Like I, I got certified in this quarry, so it was like my first five dives ever were in this quarry, and I have now 166 dives. So it was just like so different. Like 11 years later, to dive in this quarry and be like, "Wow, I hate this. It's cold, and there's nothing to see." Um, but it's just like like being able to see all that stuff underwater. Like that's this is like my passion. That's why I got this this position in in the Florida Keys, and I'm starting uh, next next uh, month. Um, so I guess I would say that. <laughs> see what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Story, like... <laughs> that's so cool. I, uh, a separate side note for anyone listening: 
especially if you're like in your teens, adolescence, early to mid twenties, or even your thirties, just go try some shit that now's the time to take some risk and enjoy life. Please do it. 100%. The, the next two are for you, Alex, and they come from me. You, you, you touched on it briefly. Are, are you a blacksmith? I, I, I see your profile picture, and it looks like you're forging something pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, I am. Um, sophomore year of high school, a uh, good friend of mine and point chaser for SIU, Mitch Hoffman. Um, we were just sitting in English class one day, and he was like, it would always be cool to like try forging something. And that day, I was like, well, let's try So we made a forge uh, and tried, and it went absolutely horribly wrong. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but it was enough to get us hooked to where we tried again, and we eventually made one that works pretty good. And, yeah, like, since then, uh, just every now and then, hop in it. Uh, in high school, I used to make things, like, for people. And now I just, like, make them really for me whenever I get bored or think of a good idea I just kind of go in well, and see what comes out well <laughs> I love how this started off and went horribly but I want to keep doing it yep real technical stuff well what what have you been making just just some ideas that you've created oh uh, yeah and uh, why is Quidditch Hoops one of them yet <laughs> I'm not quite sure where the technology Quidditch Hoop is but I'm not quite sure we've evolved to the metal point yet i think there might <laughs> be some steps before we get to there but no um i started with knives were the first thing i really made i made a lot of like smaller knives and then since then i've upgraded to uh, swords axes and recently like with the within the first year i done like a lot of jewelry like little hammers anvils Horseshoes, all kinds of like just little fine jewelry stuff. That's, dope. that's so badass. That is, yeah, it, it was, and that's that goes on with kind of with what Scott was saying. He's tried like just learning something like that, just trying it and learning it has been like an awesome experience. Most definitely, and and Alex, I gotta ask, and please let me know if this is like an uncomfortable thing to ask, but. Where's your accent? <laughs> I get no, it's not uncomfortable. It's fine. I I get it all the time. It's not an accent. Uh, born and raised in smack dab middle of Illinois. Just my voice is a little different. <laughs> so, really? no, yeah, yeah. So, no, it's not uncomfortable <laughs> at all. It's something I've gotten all my life. That is fascinating. You gotta tell me what it sounds like so I can pretend I'm from there to be cooler. Uh, like I'm thinking, like in like a like an English accent or an Australian accent. Yep, that's I've heard, I've heard Australian every now and then. People are like it sounds a little Australian. I'm like, all right, that's where I'm from then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So one more one more question here from the mailbag. Christian Barnes asks for Jeremy. If someone in the Northeast still wants to be friends, what fun activity is the way to your heart? Dot, 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 for a friend. <laughs> um, honestly, just ask if I want to go on an adventure because uh, I'm 100% down. I just went on this road trip um, with three of my friends from high school, um, which was incredible. Uh, we, we started in Grand Teton in Wyoming, um, and um, we actually ended up 
doing – I mean, it, it's because we're stupid guys. Um, we did this 10-mile hike in Jenny Lake, and we're like, oh, that was dope. Let's do another hike today because it was early because we went early. And we had had like 80% of the water that we had for the whole day already. And we ended up going on another 10-mile hike. And we ended up hiking like just under 21 miles. Um, but we ran out of water in this place called Death Canyon. Um, <laughs> in the this is not sounding like a good story up, already. No water in Death Canyon. To, uh, drink. Uh, fill up our water bottles in this uh, glacial mountain stream, which was honestly the best water I've ever had in my entire life. Um, it was so cold and so good, and we needed it because uh, we were super dehydrated. But like any anything outdoor, on the water or hiking or anything like that, I'm 100 percent down. Um, I, I I just got this uh, this new camera for this trip, and so getting into photography too. So anything along those lines is good with me. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, adventuring is just the bomb. Like, I also, I love hiking and camping and stuff. So I totally, I feel you there. All right, so let's move into our life section, the last little segment we have. If you have one year left to live your life, what would you do? <laughs> but you have, like, yeah, one year to live. Yeah. So yeah, meteor's going to come destroy the Earth. I don't know. <laughs> I'd probably take Scott up on that 1v1 veto competition. <laughs> <laughs> I would say just travel. There are so many places that I haven't seen yet that I want to see. So just making the most of it. Yeah, definitely traveling, eating food. Pro- you know what? I would eat peanut butter the day before it's over. <laughs> Why? I'm Why? allergic to peanut butter. Oh, oh. oh just the time. Okay. <laughs> Crunchy or smooth? Some, what yeah, that's your time to either. try, Jeremy. If you're about to die. I, I'm, allergic, I'm allergic to either one. <laughs> it is delicious. I, I do feel for you, Scott. Peanut butter is so good. I'm sorry you can't have it. <laughs> but hey, uh, you only got a certain amount of time to live. It's no better time to try it. That's true. Nice sunset with some peanut butter sandwiches to be good. <laughs> Share an example <laughs> of a life lesson you have learned thus far, something important to you that kind of guides who you are as a person and maybe who you hope to be in the future. If I had to pick something, it would probably be focus on the thing, things you can control. <laughs> uh, it's just I was always kind of a hands-on guy, always wanting to like whenever we did something, wanted to make sure it all worked out perfectly. But mm-hmm. like just – and you'd go mad doing that. And next thing you know, it's over. And you're like, I kind of spent this entire time not focusing on what I was doing. And I kind of missed out on it. Whereas if you just focus on things under your power and then live your life according to what life throws at you, uh, I think it just leads me now to a happy overall life. I like it. Focusing on the now, what you can control. Yeah, it's. I agree. Uh, going off of that, mine is kind of similar. Just live your life and don't be afraid to take chances and risks. And because if you do that, if you if you live in fear of what the future is and stuff you can't control, you're not going to be able to live your life. You're just surviving in it, and you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities and cool experiences. So just kind of try and try everything and. Don't be afraid to mess up, even if it's scary and stuff like that. Absolutely. 
love the perspective, guys. That that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, going into the, the next question here. So, in, in my regular everyday life, for for those that don't know, I I do therapy. I'm a counselor, and mental health is a huge part for me. So I, I want to know how you all are taking care of your mental health. What supports your emotional and mental well-being day to day? So I guess just for me personally, I I really enjoy music. So just listening to music and just having some chill time, whether that's just relaxing um, or being with friends or going for a run and just listening to music. Um, I also, uh, we adopted a puppy um, over this quarantine and just see like anytime I see her cute little puppy face like that, that'll just like improve. Like if I had a shitty day, and I come home from work or whatever, and I see her face. I'm like, all right, I'm good now. <laughs> I, I hear tell puppies are good for you. That's true. That's so pure. What kind of breed is the pup? Uh, she's golden retriever. Oh, it's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Say, uh, just whatever. I'm having a bad day. Just do the things you love to do. Um, yeah. Whatever it is, uh, if it's stepping out in the forge and getting burnt every half hour, do that. If it's Listen to music, do that. Just whatever finds you joy and can take your mind off whatever's bugging you. That's pretty much my mentality. I, I agree with that, Alex. For, for anyone listening, if you find yourself stuck or not in the best position, just knowing that the next logical thing is to go do something that brings you joy. It's something that will get the serotonin and dopamine going, whether it's forging or puppies or otherwise, just know that it's got to be the next thing. Love it. Good stuff guys. And now for the most important question of this whole podcast, I'm more important than anything about the keeper position or why I'm the best feeder. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with the avatar the last airbender series? Of course. Yes. What style of bender are you guys? I mean, I think I've got to say fire at this point. I can't talk about blacksmithing <laughs> throughout this and go any other way. So I definitely fire, I would imagine. Okay, we got our first fire bender. First one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about it. Hate me if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say for me personally, I was giving a lot of thought. Um, obviously, it would be dope to be able to fly. But I think I'd have to go water bending because I mean you could you could be up in the air if you're like in a river like Katara floating shit like you could you could get up there pretty high. Um, plus you could go scuba dive without the tank and all that stuff and just walk around underwater would be pretty dope. Water bender is the best one. I I do agree. I think it's the coolest one in my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we did it. That is yeah. <laughs> That was Quid, Coffee, and Trees. It was a longer episode, but tons of content in here. So we appreciate listeners tuning in to listen to us ramble about Quidditch and other things. <laughs> and we thank Jeremy and Alex for joining us as well. And, and to the folks that provided us some other discussions via the, the mailbag questions. Thank you, guys. And Jeremy, Alex, I hope you guys have a good one. And hopefully we can get on the pitch soon. Yep. Hell yeah. Thanks for having us. Take care, guys. All right. You do. See you later.